Hey everybody, welcome back to Meta Perspective. And today uh, I'm truly honored. Uh, we have Shinzen Young, who is a renowned, a world-renowned meditation and Dharma teacher, mindfulness teacher. Uh, welcome, Shinzen. Thanks. And you know, we're, this is a very special uh, discussion we're having here. We are talking about uh, William Bill or Bill Hamilton. Uh, who uh, Shinzen has called the the unsung hero of Western mindfulness. So um, I'm working on a project people may know on on Bill Hamilton um, and Shinzen. Uh, you you actually knew Bill, is that correct? Yes, I would say we were very close friends and had strong influence on each other. Yeah, and and I actually was speaking to an individual who knew Bill very well. And she told me, she said, you got to speak to Shinzen. Um, uh, you know, that was one of Bill's best friends. So I was really impressed when I heard that. I was like, wow. Yeah, that was, it was definitely, uh, we were bros <laughs> yeah. uh, back in the day so, in LA. Yeah, right. Um, and I guess a lot was going on over there in those days. Um, so <laughs> when, when did you first meet Bill Hamilton? Okay, so just the um, little disclaimer here. I'm not great about dates. So um, I can give you a, a sort of relative chronology. Uh, sure. you, you know a lot of the specifics and, and can probably triangulate the year. Uh, I really won't remember what year. <laughs> sure. um, but... I would, now how did that happen? I'm trying to remember. Sure. It had something to do with the Dharma Seed Library okay. originally. Yeah. And I think you know about that and its role in the early history of uh, Jack and Joseph, when they yeah. came back from Asia. So Bill, as I remember, had an engineering background. Um, so I think an audio engineer, maybe. And he was, he had tape duplicating equipment. This is way before people had computers. Um, or if you had them, you couldn't duplicate, you know, you, you didn't, there was no mp3 files and that yeah. kind of stuff so he could physically duplicate and he for some reason and i'm not quite sure how that happened was duplicating my talks um i'm not sure if it was for dharma seed or independent of that i'm not really sure how that happened but he was duplicating my talks and maybe it was for me. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it was for some other people, but I think we met over that. He had what was then a rare capability, the ability to duplicate old fashioned tapes that ran through tape heads, uh, audio tapes. So that was the original connection. And then I'm not sure how it came to pass, but he was living in LA. And I, by that time, was living on the west side in LA, um, also with someone. Um, and uh, that someone and I, uh, her name was Shirley, we were, um, we were starting the beginning of what is now Vipassana Support International, but it was called at that time uh, the Vipassana Support Institute. So Shirley was helping me sort of come out as a teacher. I had not been that public as a teacher. And then she had a background. Uh, her husband had, uh, no, actually she, her husband had been a, um, one of the founders of the Hewlett Packard Corporation. 
Oh, wow. Trying to remember his name right now. Uh, they were separated or divorced, but they were still sort of friends. And so Shirley created, uh, I think, pretty much the, um, the, uh, uh, human resources program for Hewlett Packard when it was just beginning, meaning they were some guys in a garage. Her husband was involved as a scientist at that early period. So she had a background in trainings and she had trained, or as I say, as my memory serves me right, she had trained the, uh, the first generation of uh, employees when it was still a mama and papa operation and the it being Hewlett Packard of all things. Yeah. So with that background, she knew about training and I knew about mindfulness. So we sort of were working together and that's the time that I got, I seem to remember I got friendlier with Bill yeah. um, to where we started to talk about practice. And he started to be my buddy in daily life and the other way around, you know how it is. Yeah. So um, Let's see, that situation uh, eventually uh, surely passed away. VSI was taken over by Choshin and became an international Canadian operation. Um, and uh, I guess um, Bill passed away, I don't remember when exactly uh, I remember, I seem to remember Kenneth and Daniel were caring for him or one of them was, uh, I don't remember the details. I ended up going to Vermont. Yeah. Um, and then what happened historically was the retreat aspect of VSI transferred over to the current VSI that is centered in uh, Canada with Choshin. Um, and the, um, the coach training in the, I was developing an interactive algorithmic approach to practice based on my science and computer interests of the time. Um, and uh, uh, that training evolved into what is now the unifiedmindfulness.com website. And Juliana Ray has taken that over and grown it into something absolutely extraordinary. And you know, because you have some connection, how <laughs> very yeah. proud of her and how she's taken some of my ideas and made a viable uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, presence did. in the world. So it was when VSI and unifiedmindfulness.com, those two programs were in their infancy with me and Shirley, and I was trying to figure out how you interactively, algorithmically coach people. So that was the period when Bill and I were intensely interacting. Yeah, what was your, um, what was your relationship with Bill like? Well, it was like a friend relationship. Yeah. And I would describe it as co-teachers. We were both teachers, but we had different specialties. He was, so we could serve as, te as teachers to each other. And we did for a number of years. Um, so what he brought to the table is he had detailed knowledge of how the Mahasi system as taught originally by Mahasi, but then specifically as exemplified by Upandita. Because as you know, and I'm sure you've you know, dug into the fact that Bill was close to Upandita and you know, sort of 
got the word from the from the guy directly and i got the word from bill so that was although i did practice with upandita but not not as long as bill i i had one two-month retreat in australia with upandita but bill really knew the guy and could ask him questions and had a social relationship with him so he more or less took me by the hand and explained to me step by step how noting leads to enlightenment yeah and how it's a practice to be taken seriously up yes. until then my main background was zen and vajrayana and i had not yet gotten the integrated picture of how these various Southeast Asian lineages fit with that stuff. I understood that stuff because that was my specialty. I had been in a a PhD program in Buddhist studies with strong emphasis on language. So you had to learn a bunch of Asian languages and go to the original text, serious scholarship. So I understood how Vajrayana worked and I understood how Zen worked. I even understood the relationships between them. Uh, I didn't know how all this, quote, mindfulness or Southeast Asian type stuff fit in the picture. Well, he explained it step by step. Um, And he explained the central role of what I now call flow. That's just my word for anicca or impermanence. And particularly, he was able to explain the role of various vibratory frequencies of flow. He, just, he was an engineer and I had a science background and we could talk the same language. So he brought uh, a, an expert's knowledge of the nuts and bolts of how Upandita brought people to stream entry. Wow. He just explained it to me and he explained it in terms of um, uh, sine and cosine functions, <laughs> uh, Fourier analysis of, uh, of a waveform down into its vibratory uh, experience. And uh, that got me to take noting seriously and to take that whole way of working seriously and also showed me how to integrate it with what I had already integrated by seeing the relationship between Vajrayana and Zen. So now I had all three vehicles. They made sense to me as an integrated package that leads to a different style, but the same basic uh, you know, place, you might say, where we're going. On the other hand, he was not that knowledgeable about those two traditions. And um, so I was able to fill in two vehicles for him. And he filled in the third vehicle, plus gave me some really great science, ways of thinking about it. And um, I would say that was the main interaction. And that's why people like Daniel and Kenneth they take noting seriously and they take stream entry to be feasible. My Zen teachers didn't call it stream entry. They called it Kensho or see your nature, Satori, Gedram in Vietnamese, Kai Wu, in Korean, Kai Wu in Mandarin Chinese. I mean, they use different words. They don't call it stream entry, but it's that an, it's stream entry, nonetheless. Yeah. Um, so from Zen, I had had it that, yeah, yeah, you should, quote, seek this, even though you can't seek it, you're already there, blah, blah, blah. We know about that. Yeah. But it, it, it was not like, oh, we're going to not talk about enlightenment. We're going to talk about it. Uh, and that came from Bill, uh, my confidence to talk about it 
you know, of, uh, from the Theravada point of view. Um, then I, I had other Theravada teachers, Usilananda was also very senior. He had studied with Mahasi and he, he lived in the US and didn't have many students. We were friends. And then a number of other people who from different forms of Southeast Asian practice, I worked with them, Goenka retreats, et cetera. Yeah. And then I started to get a pretty integrated picture of how the various Southeast Asian lineages work and the stages that you would tend to go through, the types of experiences you would tend to have. have. And that helped me create the unified mindfulness system, which, yeah, it's a way of practicing, but as the name implies, it's designed to sort of give you a unified overview of all the world's contemplative practices and experiences. Uh, so Bill helped me fill that in for contemporary Southeast Asian practice and also gave me some very interesting stuff, ways of thinking about this that are mathematical and scientific. Um, and so that was the, the main thing. Uh, so to whatever extent I've been able to have a, a happy synthesis. Well, I have to thank Bill for helping me with that. Um, the other thing is besides this mutual teacher to each other, um, we supported each other through various personal crisis experiences. Yeah. And, uh, there's that. <laughs> well, and, um, you know, you mentioned that, you know, Bill gave you kind of an idea of how noting in the Mahasi style can lead to enlightenment or stream entry. Uh, could you give us like a summary of how he would have explained it? If, if you could recall. Well, this is it? my memory, of course. And sure. this is just a It, this was a very long time ago, and this is sure. colored probably by all the experiences I've had in the intervening decades. But my memory was that we primarily, I would say, talked about two things. One is the importance of momentary samadhi, kanika samadhi, which I immediately recognized is practiced in Zen, but it's not talked about that way. Uh, so you might not realize it, but there's a phrase in Soto Zen. I know you mentioned that you were influenced by uh, Suzuki Shunryu. Yeah. There's a lot of syllab sibilant names in the Zen world. There's yeah. several Suzukis. Uh, uh, a Sasaki, a Senzaki, uh, it's confusing, but yeah. you were the, the Soto Zen uh, Suzuki, Shunryu. So in his tradition, they have this word in Japanese, kakusoku. It more or less corresponds to momentary samadhi, but what it means is something like conscious contact Kaku Soku, conscious contact. That's the state you're supposed to be in when you're doing Shikantaza. Okay, yeah. And then in Rinzai Zen, you have these koans, like when you see the flower, how do you experience oneness? When you hear the temple bell, how do you uh, realize true love when you are... Uh, uh, plowing the field because you have to do that kind of stuff in a Zen temple. Sounds yeah. romantic, but the romance wears off really quick and then it's just shit. <laughs> so now yeah. you're plowing the field and the Zen master is asking you an interview. Uh, how do you experience complete happiness as you're doing this piece of shit work with your body? So those are the koans that are asking you to intently see, hear, or feel something. And that's momentary samadhi also. 
but they didn't talk about it that way. Yet you either catch on or you don't. So I was able to see how things that they were talking about from Southeast Asia were related to these East Asian perspectives. Then very significantly, as mentioned before, because he was an audio engineer, he was very aware of um, Fourier synthesis and Fourier analysis. This is the math of how you build complicated shapes in space-time using rates of change, all the different levels at which something can expand and contract like a sine wave. Although each frequency is actually an independent dimension. So you can create arbitrary functions with an infinite basis. If you have a back background in math, you understand what that means. So they're, they're, they're used to build shapes, how shapes arise from vibrations at all the different frequencies. That's Fourier analysis, Fourier synthesis, and Fourier transform is, is the continuous analog of that. So he was very attuned to what I would now call vibratory flow. And the fact that you ride a sequence of progressively more subtle vibrations into the absolute rest that is their source. And then you see how those vibrations activate up again and spew out the inner and outer see here feel that is the sight, sound, touch of the world and the mental image, mental talk and body emotion of the inner world. So I started to look for the different frequencies of vibratory flow and of course it was there. And then I started to sensitize students to it. And that became the theme of flow. It was enlarged to include expansion contraction flavors of flow, which are important in certain Zen contexts. So I would say, uh, I would say that, um, you know, if I were to list first a mindfulness practice that's calling itself with that M, mindfulness, and taking enlightenment seriously, not sweeping it under the table, oh, this is too advanced, or this um, is not feasible for the general public, or we don't wanna talk about this because it will marginalize, marginalize people who aren't enlightened yet. Uh, that last one, I don't know whether to laugh or cry, and you're calling yourself a, a Buddhist, and you actually have the words of the Buddha in front of you. You can do it in a week if you're serious. He said that, folks, and you're yeah. saying, we don't want to talk about this because some people aren't there yet, and we don't want to make them feel bad for Come on. Give me a break. <laughs> Sorry, do, but do just you think saying. Well, do you think that, because, I mean, again, I've asked around a lot about Bill Hamilton, and there's not as much available as there should be. Do you think that um, he may have, Bill being forward about it in the way that he was, uh, may have gotten resistance um, in, the, in the mindfulness community because of his attitude about it? I'm not aware of that. Okay. No, I'm not. I'm just, I'm curious because uh, no, I don't know. I, I, have, I have no reason to believe that would have been the case. Okay. Um, now, you actually ended up uh, living with Bill at some point? Yeah, when I broke up with Shirley. Okay. Yeah. Um, and in his book, uh, he, you know, the only published book that uh, I've been able to find written by Bill is called Saints and Psychopaths. Um, there are notes in that book that actually say that he had another book called the synergetic primer tool and, and his translation of the Dhammapada. I've not been able to find those, but in that book, he, he mentioned that he did a, a retreat with you and he gave a talk. Um, this, I know that's a long time ago, uh, 1986. Um, but nah. he said, yeah, yeah, that's a long time ago. 
Do Thanks you, for filling in the date. I, I Now I know it was the mid 80s. <laughs> yeah. Well, so uh, in the book, it says that um, you guys were doing a retreat together. And, and uh, I, I think he says that you were leading the retreat, but he gave, he gave a lecture on the Saints and Psychopaths theme again in 1986. Was, was he ever doing Dharma talks? Like, did Bill ever give a Dharma talk or, or host a retreat or anything like that? Well, I know that he had people that came to study with him and yeah. do self-retreats. Okay. Um, and he would have been functioning, of course, as a teacher yeah. in that situation. Um, I don't know how much he did in public. Okay. Yeah, that's the big question, because I can't find any recorded talks by him, or videos especially. Um, and if anybody's listening or watching this, and you have uh, tracked down some video or audio, please send it my way uh, for this project. I would greatly appreciate that, or any leads you might have to that. Um, now, uh, in, in, in that book, actually... I've, it's the first time I came across this term. It's called, it says uh, Maha Vipassana. Is, uh, had you ever heard Bill talk about that? No. Okay. I've never heard that phrase. Whose phrase is that? It's an interesting phrase. I th that's what I'm trying to find out. So I, Bill was talking about it. I'm not sure if it was of his own creating or, or if he got that from Upandita. But in Saints and Psychopaths, he's specifically talking about this um, – Maha Vipassana, or um, I think he italicized it as deep insight. So it's it's not just Vipassana. It's a, it's like a, another deeper level of Vipassana. Not sure almost. where that terminology comes from. Okay. But I can connect you with a resource, not a resource to Bill, but a resource to Burmese terminology. Yeah. I can give you a link of a practitioner who is Burmese and um, has studied a lot of this um, and is, wants to be affiliated with our lab, Sema Lab, to do some, help us with some of our research. And um, he might be able to find out whether that was something Bill made up or something Upandita made up. Yeah. Yeah, so I'll, I'll give you email me and I'll I'll connect yeah. you with him. Sure thing. And um, how did um did you uh, did you ever interact with Bill when he was at IMS? It's possible. Like stay there and do a retreat with him. Oh, not that way. Maybe okay. talk by telephone, but. Um, not sure on that. What from when to when was he at IMS? It was in the, I believe it was in the eighties. Uh, I don't have the dates of that's a, that's another thing I should get. Um, yeah, if you say um, he was giving a talk with me in eighty six, yeah, then that you know puts a date to that. Um, but how many? How much? You know, I probably would have only met him. No, I don't want to say I, I'm too murky on the uh, sure, time frame sure. here. Yeah. And I'm, I'm in the process myself so of, of trying to build a timeline uh, for this project of, of Bill and, you know, where he was and what he was doing in those in those years when he was really active in the Dharma world. Um, do you how, well, you know, how... the other thing is it was inspiring because. Uh, it was so step-by-step. Step. I mean, this is how they do it. They look for this. When this happens, they say this, and then they look for that. And that really reinforced what I had taken up from computer science. I'd been in the UCLA computer club before everyone had a computer. <laughs> uh, I... I that's how old I am. I programmed in, do you, 
do you know that they used to use punched cards in computers called no. a Hollerith card? You don't even know that. No. You've never even no. seen one. You had a deck of cards like this. Each one had a line of code. And you had to load that thing. And it was batch processed during the night by an IBM 36090, which was a state-of-the-art computer. But that was a giant business computer that occupied you know, half a room, right? But yeah. we had access to it through the computer club. So I had gotten this idea from learning this Baroque language, PL1, which combines COBOL and Fortran into this Edsel type thing. But anyway, uh, I'd learned about algorithms and it was inspiring to see that there was an algorithmic aspect to the way they were teaching. And then that inspired me to like get serious about that approach. Yeah. And when you mean like an algorithm. For well, teaching, if this, what... if this happens, it means that and okay. tell them this and don't say that. Um, of course I don't map it out the same way they did, but, um, they were looking for, they had specific things they were looking for and okay. traditional interpretations. I have specific things you'll see when you complete your training with Juliana, yeah. it's very much a flow chart. And part of that spirit, I would say, um, the confidence to do it that way came from the fact that Bill could explain to me how they were writing the various levels of vibratory flow to this absolute stillness. And this, of course, also maps onto other things like Nada Yoga. You mentioned your interest in more yoga type traditions, the whole sound yoga thing. Yeah. That under vibratory levels. And then you, you know, I mean, the stuff is connected. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And um, what did, uh... Uh, this might sound like a generic question, but did, did Bill have like a formula for a stream entry? Oh, I, I'm sure he did. I don't remember his exact words. Yeah. But yeah. he was pretty clear about things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It seems. Why, um, why do you think that there's not much publicly available on, on Bill? Was he just very private? He was just getting started. Okay. when he died yeah he died young like my other mentor richard robinson who's ever heard of him would have been the greatest buddhologist of the century but died tragically and young in an accident and bill died i guess of cancer yeah uh, before he was able to establish himself so he had done service he set the stage for a lot IMS and Spirit Rock in the early days, and then Kenneth, Daniel, myself, and I think lots of other people were influenced. But I always attributed it to he was pretty humble and he would be helpful, but um, he died before he who he was was recognized. That would be yeah. my interpretation, but I haven't done the math on it. Yeah. You know, I didn't, yeah. I don't know about his earlier life or, I mean, I was also very reticent initially to kind of put my name out there. Yeah. Yeah. There was, there was talk that um, I heard from somebody who lived with him. And then uh, I believe Daniel and Kenneth mentioned it, that he, he had a, he had planned to write maybe six or seven books of like his, his Dharma teaching. Um, but yeah, again, he never got the chance to finish that. So um, I, I would have loved to have seen what that would have been like. And I know, um, you know, Daniel said, you know, what he did with uh, mastering the core teachings of the Buddha. Um, again, he, he dedicated that book to Bill Hamilton and you know, he said he wished it was Bill that could have could have written that, but he he did his best to to carry out what he knew and some of the teachings that he got from Bill uh, through that book. Yeah. 
And um, so um, Bill, yeah, Bill passed away around in, in 1999, I believe. Okay. And um, yeah, so I, I'm putting a timeline together. So he, so I, I knew him at least from 86 to 99. Yeah. Based on your math there. Whoa. I did not realize it was that. Well, but I wasn't with him at the end, but I was, I think I talked to caregivers at the end. So that's, that's longer than I realized. And we might've met before that. I mean, that's like two dozen years or something. Am I doing the math right? 13 no, no. years, 13, yes, 13. Uh, over a dozen years. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine that, um, that he, you gave the, the, he said he gave the lecture when you were given the retreat and that was 86. He, he probably started recording the tapes of uh, your talks earlier than that. Yeah. I'm thinking at least so, a couple years before that. It's was he, he was actually recording the audio of your lectures. Is that how it was done? I know he reproduced things. Yeah. I don't remember if he recorded for me. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Now I'm trying to, I got to, that's something I should try to figure out. Um, so um, do you, did you get to see uh, Bill um, transform in his practice at all um, from when you met him and subsequent years of how he progressed um, I guess doing the mindfulness and the Vipassana and the Mahasi retreats and the Upandita stuff. I, I don't remember details of that actually. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, that's fine. Just curious. I'm just thinking of, um, you know, some, some cool tidbits of like what, how it would have happened. Um, and uh, what was Bill like as just, say as like a, a person in general, generally speaking. Very easygoing. Yeah. Um, did he have like a- Like he people? looks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know what? There's not as many pictures out there of him. I, I have two pictures I found of him. And, um, but I spoke to one of his, the people he lived with in the last few years of his life said uh, she has a lot of pictures of him. So uh I'm, I'm hoping to obtain some of those to put them together with this project. Um, and uh, do you know, do you know if, if um, how Bill got into the, the mindfulness, the um, Hasi stuff? Do you know how he? Um, no, okay. I'm sure he told me, but don't remember. Yeah. yeah. Um, let me see what else we got here. Uh Were you, I guess, do you remember when he published the Saints and Psychopaths book? No. Sorry. Uh, yeah. I've, I've probably given you all the information I have, but keep asking. Yeah, sure. And again, I really appreciate um, that you, you take, you're taking the time to do this. Uh, you know, if if you were to to speak to people about you know, Bill Hamilton, um, you know, what, what do you think that Bill should be remembered for? Yeah. Anything? Probably if I were to say one thing, it's, an early voice in the Western mindfulness community that's, that says for a householder, stream entry is a feasible goal. Um, yeah. Now I would put my own codicils on that, but that would be me talking. Uh, but I would say, to, to boldly say it's not just about smiling and breathing, although 
There's nothing wrong with those practices. Yeah. But if we say we got to stay with smile and breathe because the people of the world aren't ready for deconstructing the somethingness of self. Well, Bill Hamilton planted his two feet in the ground and said, uh, the world is ready for industrial strength, contemplative-based psycho-spiritual growth. Daniel wrote the book that stirred the shit pot. Yeah. Better him than me. I am so grateful for him. <laughs> uh, I don't want to stir up any shit pot. Spot, <laughs> pot. Yeah. But the fact is that certainly in, in Japan, the Zen tradition says go for it for householders and has for a long time. Oh, does it? Oh, yeah. It Rinzai Zen, not Soto Zen. Soto okay. Zen says you're already there. Yeah, yeah. But then express that by doing massive sitting. Um, Rinzai Zen says you're going to get there. Um, and uh, start working. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think it's reflected through people like me and Daniel. Yeah. Um, and I think that's an important voice. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Daniel has, has done a great job um, of kind of putting that idea out there. Uh, he does it very strongly and very passionately. Um, Kenneth, Kenneth had actually written a book and it's available on the internet in PDF form called uh, Complaint, Contemplative Fitness, I believe. And he actually talked quite a, a bit about Bill in there. Um, so I'm going to hope to summarize some of that and, and put it out there. Hopefully I can get um, Kenneth on the record. Uh, if not, I know Kenneth uh, uh, said that we can talk on the phone. I can interview him and um, kind of get out what his his take on on Bill is and what he learned and uh, how that affected him. But he, in that book, Contemplative Fitness, he talked quite a lot about his relationship with uh, Bill Hamilton and you know his experience of of going through that. And uh, you know, Bill had a lot of interesting comments. Um, about uh, enlightenment and, and stream entry, uh, such as like um, enlightenment, highly recommended. Can't say why. <laughs> he, 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 uh, Daniel, Daniel and Kenneth both said he had a lot of like one-liners. Uh, do, uh, do you recall him having one-liners like that? I think so. Yeah, now that you're saying this is decades ago. Yeah. That's yeah, I, my mine would be uh, my one-liner would be uh, <laughs> my oh I have two one-liners. Enlightenment is feasible. Yeah, and it's overrated. Oh, okay, very interesting. Why would you say overrated? Well, you can guess. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's not a it's not gonna it's not a magic pill. It's gonna make you perfect. You're still human. It gives you, it, it makes the work a lot easier, but you still have to work Yeah. at refining the self. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, I, and again, it brings its own challenges too. Yeah. We call it integration. Some people yeah. have a lot of difficulty yeah. integrating emptiness with being a human. And yeah. they're both very important. Yeah, some people, um, they don't ground very well. I mean, they hit that point, uh, you know, even different, we can say insight stages, and um, they find a hard time integrating that. If you go to, um, if you continue with your training at Juliana's site, you'll come to uh, our algorithm for dealing with 
those phenomena. We've got a whole thing. We, we train the coaches what to look for and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. 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 Cause I, I imagine that's a pretty, that's pretty tricky territory. That's um, right. And uh, that's the, the flip side. You know, we want to encourage people to go for the good stuff. On the other hand, it's actually not as good as you think it is. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you recall Bill talking about um, stream entry or enlightenment in a, in a specific way? Well, the ways I mentioned, like yeah. emphasized what I call flow, or, but what Buddhism calls impermanence. See, you've got in traditional Buddhism, the three marks of existence, anicca, dukkha, anatta, right? Impermanence, yeah. suffering, no self. The three of those, yeah, the three characteristics. Of those, the one that is probably for most people easiest to contact tangibly and also easiest to put a positive spin on would be the impermanence because that's also chi, it's energy, it's prana, it's shakti. So you can put a positive spin on it for the modern world instead of sort of, you know, <laughs> no <the> pessimistic, uh, <laughs> life sucks and you're too stupid to know it. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, so both, the Ubakin tradition and the form of Zen that Juliana and I practice with Sasaki Roshi um, uh, and Bill put a big emphasis on the impermanence. And that made a lot of sense for the reason I mentioned. It's the most tangible and the one that could be made to sound prima facie desirable. So that's yeah. why I call it flow instead of impermanence, but it's yeah. impermanence nonetheless. Um, so that emphasis on uh, the first out of the three marks of existence, I partially got that from Bill and he, I think he emphasized that. But yeah, then it yeah. mapped on because it's such a central feature in the body sweeping because that reciprocal up and down sweeping of the body tends to induce a fine level of vibratory flow, which is, you can call it endorphins, maybe. <laughs> uh, we'd have to confirm that in the lab, but yeah, we know what that is. And that's a pretty good uh, unifying principle. And as I remember, I'm filtering it through my lens, but I think part of that I got from him or that came out of our mutual discussions. Yeah. So we, ba we basically did comparative Buddhist practice over those years, you know, discuss yeah. the issues. Did he have any other um, unique approaches? Um, I guess just focusing on, on the impermanence was, was one of his big um, emphasis. That's my memory of yeah. my experience with him. Um, sorry, I, I don't know the answer to your question. Yeah, though. sure, sure. Uh, did, do you know if he ever integrated other kind of trainings into his, um, his mindfulness practice? Like, I guess when you were talking to him about yeah. Zen or anything? I'm did not aware that he did those traditions, but he might have. But we definitely discussed them because we were trying to build a model that sort of worked for the whole picture cut across traditions. But I don't know that he ever actually practiced any of those. Yeah, so he was kind of um, discussing a model with you, I guess you were, is what you're saying. Almost like, um, I guess you can say what unified mindfulness now is, he, he was helping you kind of piece that together? Definitely. Okay. Yes. That, so you a, could say that. That would definitely be an act. I mean, many, many factors have entered into UM, dozens of people's input, teachers, students over the years. But 
this was part of my R&D for UM, the current yeah. UM system. Yeah. We call, I think we called it basic mindfulness. Oh, okay. That, okay. Okay. Yeah. I've, I've, I've read that. That was an yeah. old name for unified mindfulness. And people said, it sounds weird. Give it a more sexy name. So we came up yeah. with unified is actually a good name for it because we try to sort of show you all the traditions and then we don't say they're all the same thing, but we draw the, the arcs that are the relationships that connect the different parts. So you can get a sense of contrast, complementarity, something might be included within a, a larger version of something, etc. So we sort of try to unify the mindfulness field by saying, okay, here's all the pieces, but here's how they're connected. Yeah. And some of those connections are differences. But yeah. when you put it all together, you can sort of get a, um, a picture. Uh, and uh, yeah, so that that's, I guess, why we decided to call it unified mindfulness. Yeah, it is pretty sexy too. <laughs> no, but uh, that, and, and for, you know, for people watching and listening, yeah, uh, you definitely have to check out Shinzen's, uh, the PDFs that are available on the internet. Um, they're, uh, I, I mean, they're so straightforward. That's what I like about uh, your work is so straightforward. And I really appreciate that because it's not and this kind of mystical thing. You have to try to decode. It's just right there. Um, so I really appreciate that. Um, now is um, you have the see, hear, feel is, is, could, is, would you consider it the same or different as the Mahasi noting? That's a technical question. Um, that's going to entail a technical answer. So my question back is how much time do you have? Um, <laughs> it is absolutely based on the Mahasi way of working. And it's based on Upandita's notion that you need kanika samadhi or moment, momentary high concentration. So all that is straight Mahasi. Um, where there are some differences is um, in Mahasi, as far as I know, you typically mentally label whenever you're noting. The mental labeling is part of the noting apparatus. I don't know that you're ever given the option to drop those mental labels, but I found that some students prefer to strengthen the labeling by speaking the labels out loud. And some find that the mental labeling is too disruptive. So we now give people a range of options. You can speak the label, think the label, or try not use the label. So there's more flexibility, I'm thinking, in my version of things. Secondly, in the Mahasi way of working, there's often uh, a little bit of a, how can I put it? Um, there's a gray area as to what you're supposed to be focusing on in, in a sense, in that they'll often ask that when you're doing the walking, your attention be in your feet, or when you're sitting, your attention be on the uh, rising and falling of the abdomen. So you do sort of have these anchor points and the impression is given if you're doing this right, you're just going to be there in your feet or in your lower belly. But at the same time, they say, if something pulls you away, note that. So from that perspective, it's an unrestricted focus range. Whatever comes up is grist for the mill. On the other hand, there's either an explicit or implicit sense that you're sort of trying to focus on your feet while you're walking or your belly while you're sitting. Well, I make all that explicit. If you got a focus range, 
we're going to say what it is. <laughs> you're either, and if you're doing see, hear, feel, your focus range is unrestricted. If you're doing see, hear, feel in, you're just working with mental image, mental talk, body emotion. So we created a classification of the different focus ranges so that we could be very precise about what people were focusing on when they were doing it. Um, I don't think they, to my knowledge, ever do things that way. It's more yeah. or less one size fits all. And it's sort of what I just described. So we've broken that down in, into a lot of, that's what I said, made it into a flow chart. Yeah. Another difference is um, we have people work in specific ways with specific windows and walls. So if you get a certain flavor of flow, we won't tell you what to do, but we'll say, well, there's a couple techniques that might help you explore that flavor of flow, for example. They'll never do that. The, what, those manuals were not public. Our manual's public. It, you can read it on the internet. But the manuals for the students in Mahasi were not revealed to the public until very recently. They've been translated. So the teachers sort of knew stuff and would guide you, but the public facing was just come back to your abdomen, come back to your feet. If you're distracted by a thought, thinking, thinking, heck, it's one size fits all. Well, we've made it much more flexible. That's a difference. Um, and in the end, the Burmese practice has to be scripture-based. They have to justify everything they do by the Pali canon. I am held to no such authority. Yeah. And um, say if you're going to do, uh, say you have like a one hour, you're going to do a one hour sitting or meditation or, you know, however you want to label it. Um, and you're going to do see, hear, feel. Are you are you just going to do see, hear, feel the entire one hour, or what if you go get into a concentration state, or you know how does that that, work? De that depends on you. Yeah. So people that are trained in the unified mindfulness system are trained to organize their technique set. So you've either figured that out by yourself. What what you're going to do, or your facilitator, your coach rather, has helped you with that. But typically, what they would, someone might absolutely just do that. You're just doing that technique and you do it for an hour. Someone else, depending on windows and walls, they might go to a more specialized technique. Uh, like if, like you say, restful states become predominant, then you might do see, hear, feel, rest. Or if expansion, contraction flow becomes more predominant, you might do see, hear, feel, expansion, contraction, etc. But you don't have to uh, do those more specialized things. You can just stay with the generic approach also. Yeah. Um, well, uh, Shenzhen, I, I really appreciate your time here. Um, again, it's an honor and... Uh, you know, it's, it's great to have people, uh, you know, remembering uh, Bill Hamilton um, and, and talking about this. And I'm, I hope to continue um, speaking to people about Bill and, and putting together uh, videos and an article, possibly a small book project. Um, so, again, we uh, greatly appreciate your time for for coming here and, and speaking about Bill Hamilton. Um, do you have any kind of. Um, parting words for the audience about, about Bill Hamilton? Oh, I can only guess what he would say. Keep up your practice, folks. Was he very much like that? I think so. That's yeah. my memory. Yeah. Yeah. So again, I greatly appreciate your time and I'm, I'm looking forward to speaking to you again in the future. Uh, yeah, this then. was delightful. And 
thank you for the good work you're doing. This is a real service, man. I, uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, can you send me this recording? I, we won't post it or anything. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, of course. Uh, of course. Just so, um, just send it to me so we can archive it. Because some of these things, no one's drawn out of me before. So, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to upload this and I'll send you the separate file as well. So you have both. Great. Well, uh, you have a great day and uh, we'll take it from there. You too. Thank you so much, Shinzen. Bye-bye.